you know, I've never, you know, wow. in Australia, I've never come across, you're like, oh, no, there's a cloud in the lounge room, cool. Okay. Yeah, you know, the, wa- the walls are just dripping wet. Um, and so rainforests. Welcome back to Scientists Are People Too, the show where scientists share their stories. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Jody Rowley, a frog biologist and conservation scientist, passionate about documenting and conserving frog species. My name is Dr. Jody Rowley. I'm a conservation biologist that's obsessed with frogs. So frogs are my real passion. And since I was about, I guess, 18 was when I kind of fell in love with frogs. So I've been more than 20 years now uh, dedicating most of what I do to trying to understand more about our frogs and try and help conserve them. Awesome. So how did you first get interested in biological science or more specifically conservation biology? I... I grew up in the city in Sydney and my parents weren't sort of super outdoors people. So they weren't out camping really a lot. I don't really remember doing much of that at all as a child. And so it was sort of accidental that I started to do environmental science at the University of New South Wales. And that's when I met people that really enjoyed going outdoors. We did field trips and and went out into a stream. Actually, it was in Dorigo National Park in northern New South Wales. And we walked along a stream at night and I'd never done that before. And I saw frogs and that was it you know they're just such delicate precious animals just kind of sitting there I almost thought that it almost like they were plastic or something they were just these amazing (laughs) precious animals and and it wasn't long after that then I realized that how vulnerable frogs really were and how they were declining so dramatically and and so I guess that was kind of it the beginning of of um, frogs for me. Cool awesome so how did frogs develop for you like Um, I did a bit of volunteering work, including at the Australian Museum, which is, so I'm a joint appointment between the Australian Museum and the University of New South Wales. So I did a bit of volunteering uh, and then continued my environmental science degree at the University of New South Wales, ended up doing my honours research here on on frogs, uh, and then moving to Townsville, to tropical North Queensland, to study frogs at James Cook University. And there I attacked tiny little radio transmitters to frogs on tiny little waist belts, and I stalked them in the rainforest for weeks at a time to try and find out where they were spending their time and whether or not they were likely to be declining from a disease or not, depending on their behaviour. Then I moved to Asia, worked there for a couple of years, been spending a lot of time in Cambodia and, and particularly Vietnam for the last decade or more now, um, and increasingly working more and more on frogs back back home, back in Australia. So what are the differences you find between your work overseas and in Australia? So it's a completely different frog fauna. Australia's got a pretty unique frog fauna. So when I first started working in Cambodia and Vietnam, everything was completely new to me. There's very little sort of similarities in many ways. So I had to learn the frogs all over again. You know, there was no field guide. And part of the reason that I moved over to Southeast Asia was because a global amphibian assessment came out around the time I was finishing my PhD in North Queensland. And it highlighted the area as... A sort of a black hole in terms of our knowledge of biodiversity and also an area that was under incredible threat. Uh, so I thought I could make more of a difference globally to frog conservation by trying to figure out what we have in, in the area, uh, work with local students and local colleagues and, and try and document the biodiversity of the area so at least we know what we have and hopefully we can prioritise which areas to save because it was a bit of a race against time and still is. Uh, so, you know, at the start, I, instead of knowing the names of the frogs, the scientific names, all the common names or anything, it was 
me making up names like this one is a tree frog with green spots this one has you know and it and then it took me a long time reading the scientific literature sort of talking to other experts in the region to actually learn what the frogs were which was the first step and then describe the frogs that we realized were not described and named and, and sort of so discovering new species at the same time as documenting the known species. Wow what are some cool frog names that you've thought of? Well, the species that we've described, we've, we've given a little more descriptive names. So my colleagues and I have d- discovered over, I guess, around sort of 26 or so species of frog. Uh, one of my favourites is the vampire flying frog. And um, this, this was sort of a brick red <laughs> tree frog in the cloud forests of southern Vietnam. What's and a cloud forest? Cloud forests are really high forests. So it's above 16 or at least it's, it's sort of, I guess, the cloud forest, it depends where it starts, but very high elevation forests usually dripping with moss and orchids and cloudy. It looks really beautiful, but it's actually sometimes a very difficult place to work because nothing dries you. Actually, even if you're in, sometimes we stay in ranger stations um, and sometimes you walk downstairs in this ranger station and there's a cloud inside. You know, I've never, you know, wow. in Australia, I've never come across, you're like, no, oh, no, there's a cloud in the lounge <laughs> cool, room. Cool. cool. Okay. Yeah. You know, the, wa- <laughs> the walls are just dripping wet. Um, and so rainforests, um, you know, I, I see people you know, on TV, they're like rainforest scent. I'm like, oh no, that is that is probably not a rainforest scent. The rainforest you see scent, air freshener? yeah, it's like rainforest. Scent. I'm You're familiar like, with this fungus <laughs> smelling because you you just everything just stays wet and damp and mouldy uh, for the whole yeah, time. Yeah. But it's beautiful to look at, and the frogs obviously love it because it's perfect frog, sort of cool and 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 wet, and and so that's where you tend to get the, the species of frog that are only in a very small area of this sort of cloud forest, um, yeah. and and they can't live at lower sort of warmer temperatures. So um, one of the places to look for these species that could be um, only in a very small area, undescribed species adapted to this particular forest and under a great threat from deforestation is these kind of high elevation cloud forests. So we came across this frog on our surveys and we realised we, you know, it didn't look like anything we knew about. Um, and so we set about sort of trying to formally describe it uh, and name it. And, and its Latin name is Racophorus vampirus <laughs> as well. Um, and the reason is like there was nothing super remarkable at the, about the frog. It was actually the tadpoles. So tadpoles were actually in tree holes. So often in really wet places, there still will be sort of when a branch falls off, it creates a little hole in the tree that fills with water. And these areas are actually really amazing places for frogs to breed in. And wow. so Oh, I get, would never have thought of that. Yeah, you get frogs that breed only in tree holes. Um, and so, That's so specific. <laughs> there's not a lot of food in some of these tree holes. So frogs have made, you know, it's not like the algae. It's, it's a very small amount of water often. Uh, and so in the case of the vampire flying frog, the females actually come back to these tree holes and lay unfertilized eggs for the tadpoles to eat. So the tadpoles actually have huge black fangs sticking out of their mouths, which is unlike any other tadpole. But they don't use these for sucking blood or anything actually vampirish. Uh, they use them to sort of scoop the egg hole into their belly that their mother lays for them. Wow. That's so they're, they're a really cool frog, yeah. What are some other challenges that you find in your work more on the conservation side? I mean, there's there's the obvious fieldwork challenges, which are can be, you know, we tend to work, us frog biologists work in the forest when all the other biologists get out of the forest because we work in the monsoon season. It's the best yeah. time for frogs is when it rains. So all the primatologists, the botanists, everyone else gets out and us They're frog out. biologists walk in. And so the sometimes it, it can be incredibly challenging conditions. Um, as I said, you get the weird stuff at the top of mountains. Um, and so a lot of the work is also climbing up mountains. 
which can be particularly challenging um, and, and associated sort of leeches, ticks. You know, I've had scrub typhus a couple of times from working in these places. Um, but the frogs make it incredibly worthwhile. Um, I guess the other challenge is, is seeing um, or trying to make sure that what you're getting, you know, the results, the new species, the information that you're gathering scientifically actually gets sort of put into information that's used for conservation management. So a lot of scientific papers are behind paywalls. So some of what we're doing for our work in Southeast Asia is we work on the International Red List of Threatened Species, the IUCN Red List. And so that it transforms all of the paper information in the papers, all of the information that we know about each species, puts it in an open access, kind of easy to read format um, that can hopefully then be used to prioritise conservation areas. But there's, you know, it's, it's very hard as a scientist to guarantee that the kind of information that you're gathering and can, will be used in, in conservation management, but um, trying to make it at least sort of openly accessible and, and translate it into um, information that land managers can understand is one of the big the big challenges that we try, um, it's one of the ways we try and make sure that at least our information is considered. I guess a lot of my work before now, before about two years ago when Frog ID actually was launched, which I'll talk about a little, you know, it, a lot of my work was just exploring um, training local students, trying to get out there, document what we have. And Frog ID is kind of the next level of that. So that is a, a nationwide citizen science project based around frogs. And you would think that, you know, I've been work used to working in Asia, there's a huge amount of undocumented biodiversity, but there's actually also a huge amount of undocumented biodiversity in Australia. Um, our frogs are still pretty poorly known, which is, is pretty terrifying because you'd think we'd have a good handle on what we have, but we don't. Uh, mm. We don't really even know how many species of frog we have in Australia. There's still, you know, in the last several years, there's been a number of new species discovered and likely many more discovered sort of new to science. Let alone the ones that have already disappeared that we don't know about. Yeah, yeah. And ar around the world, um, yeah, we have definitely lost a lot of species. So what we're in this situation now with the global amphibian decline is that we have a really urgent need to to really figure out what's going on in Australia's frogs and make sure that we can then use that information uh, to make sure we don't lose any more frog species in Australia. So we've already lost four. There's a ton, you know, several dozen that are threatened with extinction, others that are missing and haven't been seen in decades. And so this is kind of a plea to help get everybody to help understand Australia's frogs. It's all based around a free app called Frog ID. And it, it sort of, uh, it's a nationwide project. So no matter where in Australia you are, and all you need to do is press record and submit the calls of frogs. So every species of frog has a different call and it's the kind of really easy way of identifying what frogs are around you and helping build a database. Um, and this project has been going for almost two years um, and we have over 120,000 records of frogs from across Australia in just wow. that amount of time, which is absolutely remarkable. So it proves that people like frogs and, and that they are willing to sort of contribute to understanding them. What do you think is the most rewarding thing about your work? I personally feel rewarded when we discover important things for conservation. So whether that is a new species, a frog, you know, nothing beats something that, that is unknown to science that you come across, you know, a pink and yellow frog with spikes on its back that no one ever knew existed <laughs> is, is pretty cool. Uh, working with amazing people, often in really amazing places, you know, the cloud forests of, of Vietnam is an amazing privilege. And being able to talk about frogs is also an amazing privilege and really rewarding, you know, being able to um, 
I guess, inspire someone in just a very small way to actually even just think about frogs, you know. Um, kids that, that sort of have never gone outside, never really understood the noises coming from the dam of, of frogs or things like that is, is an amazing privilege. And Frog ID in particular has given me this amazing opportunity to, I guess, raise the profile of frogs in Australia and make um, at least some people think a little bit more about these amazing amphibians that live in our backyards. That's awesome. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank um, you. Yeah, I loved hearing about frogs. The cloud forest is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's okay.